0: Hi, Internet. My name is Jonathan Matos.
1: And this is Melissa Matos. And, and- oh my goodness, we got <laughs> another submarine movie!
0: Yay! <laughs> Welcome to Unboxing Story, <laughs> where we explore narrative from the fringes. Today, the fringes are... The f- movies. That Melissa really likes <laughs> or got really excited about Hunter Killer, this submarine movie that was going to come out. And at some point, we're going to be by the way, we're both eating popcorn after the movie, yeah,
1: because why buy popcorn at the theater when you have smart food popcorn at home <laughs> I mean,
0: really I, I do love this stuff I, I bought this a lot in um elementary school, yeah, I would buy the little the little johns that that, that the lunch lady tries to hide from you, but <laughs> you're just like I see you with that smart food popcorn I that's buying that
1: white over there. So, you're
0: not know, the only one who's trying to cut calories lady, so <laughs> anyway um. You know, I you
1: might need to back
0: up off the mic a little bit. Oh yeah, let me let me shimmy it over a little bit.
1: He's not louder than me, really. I'm just <laughs> further away.
0: Um but anyway, the uh before we started recording, we were talking about how uh I've kind of been using this to go through like basic storytelling things. Um but your enthusiasm has warmed the cockles of my heart. And so uh, I wanted to give Melissa the chance to talk about why she, um, you know, wanted to see this and, and uh, you know, I kind of see that and be like, oh, this, they're trying to do a clone of Red October and this is going to, like, you know, bomb at the box office because nobody, you know, nobody makes these types of movies anymore. But it's because I've been inundated with all these, like, YouTube shows and stuff that are all about you know, they're basically like ESPN for movies, and they talk about like, well, nobody, like, this doesn't make money, or, you know, this doesn't play to my niche interests or everything. But since Melissa's disconnected from that, she just looks at the surface level of like, oh, it's um, Gary Oldman yelling at (laughs) (laughs) people about the submarine that's gonna blow up. And so, you have the floor.
1: Okay. Okay. So I like the point that they don't make movies like this anymore because it's true. A Mm. lot of military movies now are, like we were saying about other things, are very grimdark and it's all, you know, hopelessness and horrible red tape politics and all Mm. this stuff. But things like Red October and other movies at the time and even like the older war movies were much more adventure movies, Mm. really, where... It's not entirely realistic, probably, and it's not, um, you know, it's not this like dark, gritty look at the way the military works. It's more about Mm -hmm. there are heroes and the heroes are going to go do the right thing, whether or not the people in charge are telling them to do that. And they're going to take risks and they're going to like because the whole thing with Jack Ryan and even the the recent um, Amazon show was like that. Jack Ryan takes a lot of crazy risks and probably would never really in a real world situation be in those th- places, but he's willing to say, no, this is different. And I think this is how this should work. And I'm going to go risk my own neck to prove to you that this is how this works. The reason I loved the Hunt for Red October so much was because it's, it, I think that's Jack Ryan's like first adventure mm. and he's just this CIA analyst guy who realizes what's going on and is willing to put his own neck on the line to prove to everybody know this is what's going on. And if I die out there, then I died proving something right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a very similar kind of story in that the captain of the, the submarine that they sent out to check out this weird situation going on near Poliarni believes that there was something weird going on and would not just randomly shoot at people or, you know, do the thing that he was expected to do because Mm -hmm. he was like, no, I'm going to put my neck out there and say, this is what's happening. And we're going to prove that this is right.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Same thing with the, the, so that was Gerard Butler's character, the captain on the the ship Mm -hmm. at the same time, there was a a special, I'm assuming there was some kind of like special ops army unit Mm -hmm. that gets dropped. On land, there
0: it was interesting because they showed them um, in a very tactical training situation, right? And so, at first, I was thinking, like, well, uh, I, I said afterwards, I'm like, it's weird that this one guy is making mistakes, and then they still take him on the right thing. Um, but the uh, I think. looking back at how it does set up that they're not, because they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's not like they're in...
1: Basic training or something. So, like... They're already out on the field getting trained for specific situations.
0: Right. And and you're... And I I think you're supposed to believe that this is, you know, maybe they've done this, you know, 300 Like, he's
1: obviously the new guy on their team. Newer Mm -hmm. guy on their team. Uh, But they're still a very elite team. Right. Whoever they are. And I looked up that guy's name and I forgot it already.
0: Um, but I think that the, um, I'll vamp a little bit <laughs> for you. Um, the it, It's interesting to me in this kind of like action oriented, because that's that's one of the things that I struggle with with war movies is that you're, you know, I, I don't identify with a lot of like testosterone-fueled Uber men. <laughs> uh, and so
1: Toby Stevens, that's the guy.
0: That was the name of the trainee
1: of the, no, the head of that squad. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Who was the father from lost in space and also mm. was captain Flint on black sales and was absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. as captain Flint on black sales. But mm-hmm. anyway, he's a very good actor. I like him a lot.
0: Yeah. I liked him a lot on, on lost in space. Um, and he, so looking at that character a lot more recently, like um, uh, one the one of the only war movies that I've watched more than once is um, the Full Metal Jacket, mm. and it's it's interesting to me because it it tries to frame this uber critical, uh, you know, sergeant played by Arlie Ermey as somebody that is on like completely unforgiving and merciless and. Terrifying right. these these people underneath him, but when you see how this one very pathological um, cadet reacts to it, it flips it on its head, and you and you really sympathize for that character. So it, it's it's ever since that movie, I feel like they've been trying to more realistically show how those men operate in those types of situations.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's he kind was, of this balance, critical of them all. Mm. But it was more. It was more in a in a like they felt more like a family mm. than just like this
0: machine. Okay. But you're also, it's. I think it's that there's this balance that I've been trying to kind of assess with like what I'm saying. I've been try, I've been assessing from the different reviewers and stuff that I watch because they'll often talk about how movies can be manipulative. Mm. So you see, like you know there's a person who is blind and deaf and their cat just died and stuff. And that they do like some cheap things, you know, in order to, you know, make you feel for a certain situation. So like me watching the scene, I'm trying to see, you know, how far is he going in an aptitude where I don't care about his character anymore because he's being, you know, so stupid that he's risking these people's lives and then with the commander, how critical and unforgiving is he being to be an unsympathetic character? And I, I think they did a pretty good job of telling that line mm-hmm. where, you know, like they, they'd have every now and again, like they would call each other brother or something like that. But it wasn't like everything would go slow motion.
1: Right. And it wasn't over dramatized. And like in that sense. he
0: was razzing him, and towards the beginning about his girlfriend, yeah. Um, but he did it in a very macho way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and it wasn't like at, at it any didn't point seem
1: creepy at all.
0: No, it was just kind of like, ju- like the type of joking that dudes do without going so far as to be unsympathetic right. and, and to make him some kind of like. You and know, I think,
1: especially with the guy, with the newbie guy. He, Mm-hmm. Sorry that I don't know any of their names right now.
0: <laughs> well, like uh, you're you're expecting too much of yourself. There was like forty characters that we were following kind of in like, the movie. It
1: was some kind of like Marinetti or something like that because they referred to him several times. Oh, um, they felt very protective of him too. It wasn't like oh, I thought you were talking about the actors' idiot. names. I'm like no, I, I don't
0: know any. half of the that.
1: I know Gerard Gardner I know Toby Stevens. It's about as much <laughs> as I got right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the newbie guy at the beginning, right? You're are saying, oh, okay, he looks. Not inept but like you, obviously, they're yelling at him a lot, so they, he made mistakes in whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. But then, halfway through, when he gets hurt, but they're not allowed to make any noise because the guys are looking for them, and he holds his tongue for that long mm-hmm. after having
0: just been shot, right?
1: Or um, so that
0: that shows that he's not a coward, right? Which is to me like one an unforgiving thing in in a in a war movie, like there are instances that we've seen in film. Like I know there was a, I think in um, Saving Private Ryan, Mm -hmm. there was a guy that was like going to sell out uh, Ryan or or more to somebody. Uh, And so it's just like when you, when you see somebody that's like not pushing themselves or not, um, you know, it's just like weak. It's hard to be sympathetic because you're like, you're, you're, you're you're, you're you're you 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 immediately put yourself in the shoes of the guys that are having to deal with that person and then it's like you know just leave him to die because
1: right it's like just live in there. it's fine um but then the skill set that he shows off later i'm not going to give you that spoiler because it's a big deal in the uh-huh.
0: movie,
1: um is also really cool it's not like he's a terrible person it's just he's got a different skill set than the rest of them mm-hmm. the only one the only character i thought that was really really flat and kind of mm. meh was the one military chief
0: uh-huh. that kept
1: insisting that they just blow up Russia mm. or whatever he wanted them to do. <laughs> he was kind of annoying because literally he was just there to yell at the people who were trying to do the heroic
0: things. Are you talking about uh, on, the on, the on the American side or on the Russian side? On the American side. Gary Oldman?
1: Is that who that is? Yeah. Okay. Well, all I did was yell at people and he was annoying
0: me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I thought that his his it, it's so funny because, like on both sides, a that there's kind of like a lot of dual dualism. Yeah, there
1: was a lot of mirroring on the. Yeah, yeah. It was and,
0: visually, and and I think now that you're saying that, the part of the plot is that it's a coup within Russia mm. to um, get us to fight them, and there was a military person on that side that...
1: Who oh, I swear is a descendant of Peter Laurie. Yeah, so Melissa
0: <laughs> told cow. me halfway through it, like, he looks like uh, Peter Laurie and Andy Circus had a baby. That's
1: exactly what
0: he looks like. He did. He <laughs> totally so did. what he looks like. But, uh, and I always feel bad for that because it's like, when you have somebody I, I was, I, I so what, so there was some horror movie we were watching. Oh, uh, we were watching Castle Rock and and, uh, and like for the first like six episodes, um, Stellan Sargsgard doesn't. I think it's. I think that's the Sargsgard. There's like three of them. Anyway, Uh, he doesn't say anything, and it's like it. It's gotta be weird as an actor to be like, I can say something creepy, and then the director is just, <laughs> just like, like no, just, no, your face is creepy just, enough. Just, Shut up, kid.
1: <laughs> that's all you have to so, do.
0: <laughs> but, so like, that
1: guy just needed to stand around and say. Very simple lines. Right. it was very
0: creepy. But but like the point, since like in in some stuff, like um, you know they like I I know they remade. Um, there's been kind of a, a rash. Some of them with Jar Butler in them. Of like, it's just you know the uh, North Korea is invading. Oh yeah, like you know what, just generic uh, what, bad guy number. Whatever three. the person is in the news as being threatening. Right. particularly the threatening then they'll you know greenlight this movie or whatever but um the the fact that it was most it was more about preventing violence from happening yeah and on both sides strategically trying to prevent this all-out war from taking place um I, I was more forgiving of that that thing mm. and I, and I liked his he he acted to me like he was like a, a like a testosterone fueled guy, like his. Which one, director the, Butler? No, no, um, Gary Oldman. Oh, because it, it was it was like, I I tweeted out that he reminded me of Cameron Mitchell, this guy from this these like, seventies exploitation movies mm. that uh, Red Letter Media was was going through, because um he just kind of played a bunch of like police chiefs and, um, like military people throughout you know his career. And he's always just shouting at people to do stuff. <laughs> and there's like certain people like Arlie Ermey that embody that type of um, machismo without make you know, making it either making it purposely unsympathetic at times. And then it means like to me, that's what made it mean that much more when he. Um, so so I, I don't argue with your own subjective. Like if he got on your nerves, he got on your nerves. I'm
1: I'm, I'm guessing he was supposed to at some point be on Mm. hers because
0: he was not. Because there's there's a specific scene in the um, thing where Linda Cardellini is behind him. I remember her because she was in (laughs) Scooby-Doo when I was a a kid. But like when I started seeing her get good parts, I was like, thank God she grew up from Velma. (laughs) She was able to like. She was Velma? yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Okay, then. So, when she's, she's the NSA agent trying to prevent things from escalating, and he's arguing with her, that there's that tension after he yells, where it's like, you can hear a pin drop yeah, in the room. Yeah. And it's like, to me, that's just like, he's tr- he's yelling that loud to get his, like, to get people to be like, this is urgent. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, other people like Common and Gerard Butler, like, weren't really escalating it to the, to, like... The, the point where I, I could remember like a, a certain line or stuff. Like right. usually like, it was interesting to me from Gerard Butler's point of view because um, of how usually his parts are more machismo. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see him do something more, a little more subtle. Um, and I think his part was written very well. Yeah. Um, and like the different actions that he does uh, along with like certain things that he says, um, but, yeah, so that's uh, – uh, a lot A lot of the the, the dualism w- was one thing that I was picking up on that I thought this movie –
1: Which is another thing Hunt for October had a lot of – they mm. showed a
0: lot of the other
1: side in a sympathetic way.
0: Uh-huh. It wasn't
1: just, these are going to be faceless bad guys. Right. And we don't care if they have feelings or, you know, anything. It's, these are people too. Mm. And they don't want a war either. Right. So let's act like we can reason with these people mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, assuming we have to go hunt them down.
0: And I think that that was a good way they portray, they portrayed the president very well because it was like, you know, there's a, it's, um, like they didn't show our president at all because I think- They did.
1: It was the woman.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> So I'll, I'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> the there's a lot of when you show a world leader there's and so much I say the woman
1: cuz there was like what four in this whole movie Oh, yeah <laughs> not that i mind um, i'm not fussing, i'm just saying they're
0: right they, it's it's, it's, so it's so easy to remember yeah. because there's one of the other four um but like when you when you there's there's a lot of cuz from from watching jordan peter peterson stuff he is so much about like people remembering the horrors of Communism and that like, you know, most kids aren't like we spend, you know, four years learning about Hitler, but not as much about Maoist China and stuff like that. So like, rather than show him to be rather than show any of them to be just sympathetic or just, you know, uh, unsympathetic, there were different moments and key things. And, you know, there was kind of this realistic begrudging acceptance that for the greater good, we need to work together. Right. And and that was good because it wasn't like making it look like, you know, these guys are going to get a drink after no, everything's yeah. done.
1: It wasn't this instantaneous, oh, we're best friends right now because you just, yeah, it was very, the, the standoff, I think, between the Russians and the Americans when they finally got on the same ship was really impressively done because, mm-hmm. like, the Russians are half dead when they get them. Right. And they still come in standing up straight and looking at them like, yeah, what are you going to do to us? Right. Like, it was this very tough moment. So I really liked the Russian captain too. I think he did a really great job of mm-hmm. being, you know, proud of what he was. Mm-hmm. Not, um, not ashamed, not apologetic at all, mm-hmm. but still very, okay, look, we have something we need to take care of right now. Mm-hmm. So let's do this.
0: And, th- and there's a moment with him that I liked where, um, Gerard Butler, you know, realizes that there's a, uh, a ship with missiles that could hit them. And he's banking on him being willing to, um, you know, uh, call the ship and okay. talk to them and that his authority, that their respect for him right. will Wouldn't matter, you know? Yeah. And, um, the, the acting in that moment where he's, like, hoping that, you know, the whole ship doesn't get blown to smithereens, um, that was a really good, uh, that was a really good scene. And uh, that's when I was noticing that, you know, they were showing realistically how a lot of the, how young a lot of the soldiers are. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was, it was interesting because they, uh, like, visually visually, it seemed like they were trying to you know, show how Gerard Butler is with his ship and how this, you know, guy with his own ship is commanding over all these like kind of younger guys. And they, there's different, like the acting was solid enough from both parties that you really sympathize with these, you know, soldiers right. in the, in this moment and how difficult it is at a moment's notice to be, you know, running all the, over the place and, and, having to deal with these people that are in authority over them and stuff. So there was a lot of that, like, empathy that the, you know, the movie kind of makes you think about.
1: Right. I think the my favorite thing, though, about <clears throat> naval warfare in particular,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because not a lot of, like you were saying, you don't enjoy as many, like, regular war movies where mm-hmm. you're watching, you know, army guys fight each other. Mm-hmm. Um, naval warfare is still largely very tactical, or I don't know, maybe it's strategic, whatever you call it. Anyway, Mm. it's not, you know, a bunch of individuals that you have to kind of rally and plan, and just have them go at each other. You Mm. have to like, okay, this guy's going to be here in this amount of time. And I have to make sure I don't hit the wall under this. Like it's a lot of crazy stuff that goes into running a submarine, Mm -hmm. especially. Let alone a ship, because like they even showed some of the surface ships, like and how long that thing took to turn around and how they had to get mm-hmm. back. Like it's not and um compared to Hunt for Red October, I think this movie was a lot faster. And I don't know if it's accurate that submarines move around that quickly now. Maybe they do. I don't know. The the difference that, of Red one... October was a was a big the Red October was a big, huge submarine. It wasn't like a tiny one, like these guys were little attack subs. So mm. the Red October couldn't move that fast. Right. So I don't know if it was just a function of what
0: ships they were looking mm. at. But this was much quicker underwater mm. craziness. Right. Um, um, well, well, I'll do a compliment sandwich here. <laughs> like compliment, critique compliment. Where I expected this movie to do a lot of a lot more technical jargon and stuff oh. than it did because just because it was named Hunter Killer. Right. And there has been so many of those movies that it's it's that like, like info the set about, piece this is, this is trying kind of... they're trying to make the set piece seem um, like really majestic and for that reason um, sometimes if it's not worthy of that deification that the movie is giving it right it can be like a slog to go through but I thought that they were good at like introducing different things and not making it seem like any one of those things overrode. Right. Like I was expecting
1: because they named it after the class of the sub, Mm -hmm. that it would there would be, like you said, more technical information about that sub. And they mentioned a few times that this is like classified technology or something. But they Mm -hmm. don't go into like it's not about oh we have this new technological thing. Mm -hmm. Like Red October was, oh, we have this nice giant missile boat that can run silent and you can't find us. Like it wasn't about some new technological advance in submarine
0: Workings, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so the so the critique comes in where there was there there were a couple things and and most of them aren't important enough to I think even talk about mostly because even if there is something that you know comes up in one of these war movies, heaven knows if I know enough <laughs> yes, <laughs> to be no, critiquing right. it. It's like and that that's a difficult thing about about a lot of. Action movies, and like you can say something that seems like, well, this is weird, but like, number one, you know, if there there are plenty of movies that, you know, and a lot of YouTube comments will be like, well, you said you liked this movie, and that movie was stupid, and it's like, <laughs> I I go by the principle that like if it's entertaining enough, it'll distract me from
1: from the facts of old, from
0: different like plot holes and and maybe yeah. like flubs and stuff. But there was one thing where like it seems like throughout the movie a lot of the commands and stuff, you need very specific information. Mm-hmm. And the Russian captain is on the boat and they're they're saying like, you know, we're going to go. He was trying to give them specific directions because they were going through a place that only the Russians had charted. Like the American sub had no idea what was going to be there and they knew that there were um, mines, and, mines and sensors and um, so the the fact that he was just kind of
1: pointing pointing
0: and not saying anything to me was just like, it's kind of weird. Like, and so I don't, again, I'm not a sub expert, but that seemed kind of weird. That seemed like kind of like you would
1: have uh, thought he would be giving them numbers.
0: Right. And, and it, and it did set up that he knew some English and stuff like that. So, Um, but then the, um, there, there were, like I was saying, it was entertaining enough where, I wasn't sitting there nitpicking at it because it I saw that it was doing good work dramatically to like in that same scene. There's the um you know the there's, XO
1: was not happy that the Russian captain's there. This is fussing at the the regular the American uh-huh. captain, which I thought was very good. I think he did a really good job of being the gung ho American guy that like, no, this guy's a Russian this is insane. <laughs> like, why is he on our right. bridge? And uh
0: but I, I was going to bring up the, there's a, a part where they have to be really quiet
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like a, a, audibly from the crowd, people were just like, whoo, because there's like a near yeah. thing where like, you know, they could get picked up on some kind of, um, by the Russians and, uh, something happens. And so, um, that was really tense.
1: Yes. And
0: th- 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 there are a lot of There are a lot of very like good,
1: tense moments like hold your breath tense mm. moments, which I love. I was telling John I'm like all high on adrenaline now cause like <laughs> I'm so excited through this whole movie. Um, but cause I was teasing also too, it, it doesn't really take much to make a movie about submarines suspenseful. It's the same thing about, you know, like early space, like regular actual space travel, mm-hmm. not science fiction for space travel, but mm-hmm. like for real space travel where they literally send you up in like an inflated aluminum balloon go to the moon, like one puncture hole in that thing and you're dead. Like, it doesn't matter what you hit, it doesn't matter if it hits you on purpose, you mm-hmm. bump into the wrong thing and you die. Like, that is instantaneous suspense. They don't even have to write anything. Like, you could just watch Ooh. a submarine move around for an hour and be freaked out because of how it works and how easy it is to, to
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to be messed up. And there is very little way to rescue you. If you sink someplace too deep, like they showed that on there too, if you sink someplace too deep, they can't get you out. (laughs) Because any attempt to get you out, you'd get crushed under pressure, most things that could get you out of the submarine. So you're like, you're
0: done. Mm. All right. So you nerded out. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say before I talk, talk about spiritual successors? Um... You, you can you can tune its horn and more. <laughs> yeah, I can tune it tour and more. <laughs> if you have if you have more.
1: Um I don't know, I just I just I liked the acting, I liked the plot, I thought it was really well done. Um a lot of good hold your breath moments, a lot of good action scenes. Um a very feel good kind of ending. Which is rare anymore, and I am happy that people are still making those and I hope that People give their money to those movies instead of the horrible we're all gonna die because we're killing ourselves and nihilistic things that have been being made. Cause that just makes me sad.
0: <laughs> there you go. So when I saw the ads for this, I immediately thought, Oh, they're trying to um like clone hunt for Red October. I might have said that towards the beginning of this. Yes. But <laughs> it's worth noting <laughs> that th- there well, are some movies to the same right but uh, when I see that I immediately think oh they're not trying oh. like they could write scenes that are it's kind of like like movie plagiarism you know what I mean <laughs> like if and, and and it might be because I come from the 90s when there were studios that kept doing those things where they would like immediately try to make the same movie as another studio.
1: Right.
0: So you had like Dante's beak and volcano and, um,
1: that still Deep, happens Deep Impact now.
0: and Armageddon.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Especially with
1: disaster movies. apparently.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, um, I wanted to kind of go through, um, spiritual successors and see if there are ones that, um, we like in, in the, the filmic world. Um, yeah, because I there are some summary episodes where I've tried to do every single type of um, media that we could possibly do. But uh, if you want more media things from us, you can subscribe to our Patreon That think outside the box, and uh, we have a random media minicast. Um, yes,
1: that branches out a bit more.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> we but, only have
1: so much time for reading nowadays, So Right.
0: Um. Did you ever watch The Wonder Years? The show? Yes.
1: Um, not a lot, but a little. Yes.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. because it says here that it's is reasonably seen as a spiritual successor to the movie Stand by Me. Oh. Which I haven't seen either of those things, but I you thought, haven't seen Stand by Me. No. That
1: we should watch. That's a good movie.
0: Yeah, I've I've I have heard good I things. I will
1: not make you watch The Wonder Years, but you should watch Stand <laughs>
0: hmm um oh so uh labyrinth we've both seen yes and mm-hmm. it says here it's considered a spiritual sequel to the dark crystal which we would just watch yes and um that's interesting because it's george um oh well it is george lucas um it was it says here that he was reportedly involved in the making of both films the only credited in labyrinth um but they're both jim henson creations and it's interesting that the visual style is kind of similar in both um uh
1: yeah are, they're they're both darker mm. very odd fantasy yes things <laughs>
0: Let's see here. Let's see. Oh, so this is interesting. So the Cornetto trilogy is, uh, and we I think we should watch one of these two because I've only seen The World's End. So um, Edgar Wright, the guy that directed Ant-Man. Okay. You, you would probably know him from that. Um, me, from going to conventions, I've seen people do Shaun of the Dead, like, cosplay and that's uh-huh. where people talk about it because of watching different critics and stuff but I've never seen Shaun of the Dead and I think me and dad were at Hot Fuzz which is, is the second one um, but they're not they're spiritual sequels in the sense that uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are two actors that are in every one of them Oh, okay. and they're all kind of action comedies dark so, comedies <laughs> I guess Hot yeah. Hot fuzz was well, I, action out. action comedy. Which one? Hot fuzz. Oh okay. Let's, or did British you see it?
1: British level disturbing. Uh huh. Comedy, like it's the British have a weird sense of humor. They laugh at things that we would not laugh at here. At my uh-huh. humble opinion, I mean, some of us do, obviously, or it wouldn't <laughs> have been big over here. But I I just think it's different and, and weird. <laughs>
0: Yeah, M- Melissa's not one for dark comedies.
1: I, um, some, but not gory ones. It's just strange to me. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. like with the ending of uh, of the first uh, Kingsman. That would never have happened in an American movie. Hmm. Where everybody's heads blow up.
0: I, it would have in the 80s. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, good point.
0: Yeah, but, <laughs> still... <laughs> at like, uh, uh, I was
1: not expecting it with the tone that
0: the yeah, rest th- of the movie these had things did. just happen in cycles. Like oh, okay. th- there there is always at any point in history you can find somebody <laughs> that's chiseling hieroglyphs on a wall that you're hiding from the Pharaoh. Like <laughs> there's always gonna be somebody to make weird stuff. What? Um
1: that is a great <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> what? Where where did what <laughs> That.
0: anyway <laughs> but a part part of me part of me takes issue because I, I wrote something that i thought was a dark comedy and i was told by my, the editor that i hired that it was not a dark comedy and so there's different there's things that we have seen yes that are pg13 that we think are dark comedies and that then there's not- completely other levels
1: of like
0: to me Charlotte of the dead is a zo- it's a zombie movie. So and it's like a
1: horror comedy. We yeah. put it that
0: way. Right. So, yeah. So there's...
1: Or like spoofs of horror but,
0: things. Yeah. But then there's like... Like... um, There's like exploitation movies that are like an hour and a half of blood and gore and things right. like... And, and people will laugh at that and I'll be like, I don't know why yeah. you're laughing at this. Or like... Like, I don't like the Final Destination type movies. And it seems like a lot of the reaction to that is laughing, even though it's not like I don't think the movie is doing work to make the things funny. Um but the uh so they've called it the blood and ice cream trilogy because throughout the movies Cornetto will pop up. Okay. Um and there it's an ice cream brand. Oh
1: right, right, in right. Britain. Okay.
0: Um but it I, I think it's interesting because I I've seen a lot of fandom for Shaun of the Dead, but not as much for the other two. Excuse me. So it would be interesting to see one of one of two of them, and and uh, find out like what whether it works as a cohesive whole, right. and and like if there is some kind of threat. Because I know the World Then was a lot about like getting into middle age, and like, feelings of, like, maturing and things like that, um, and I, I would probably say that, that a lot of, um, horror comedies are, they try to have a little bit of, um, heart to them, and, and I know those specifically, like, there is kind of an emotional core to them, but there are viewers like yourself that don't, like, it's, it's, well, we, we um, I think in French they call it the donate, where it's something you have to get over in order to enjoy the thing. Oh, okay. And there are just certain turnoffs that people have, and the it it's it's one that I I don't because there's a specific type of gore that where like you know I can tell like oh that's fake blood so right. it's, it doesn't bother right. me. But then there's movies that try to make it visceral, like A Final Destination, and try to make it like, just laughing at the fact that someone is dying, that's not, I'm not gonna get there. As opposed to, such Shaun of the Dead, where, like, you know, somebody that, that runs the Seven Eleven turned into a zombie, and he's, like, trying to violently get him away from him, <laughs> but, like, it's not working. That type of thing, like, there's a joke there.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Um. So, uh, oh, so the corpse bride was, uh, uh spiritual oh, sequel to Nightmare yeah, Before Nightmare Christmas. Christmas. I haven't
1: seen um, either of those.
0: And that's kind of like, I, I mentioned they, They're
1: both Tim Burton though, aren't
0: they? Yeah. Okay. I, I mentioned it for that reason because they're kind of, um, I'm noticing a pattern with like, there's a certain director and there are people now that follow uh, sometimes directors more than they follow like the actor that's in a movie or, or right. something like or that. Or even
1: the writers necessarily.
0: Right, so there's... Although there's been,
1: I think, a lot more directors writing their own movies now mm-hmm. as well, right? Is that how that's been? Or not writing necessarily, but like the director is the one who came up with the story.
0: Oh, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Even if they don't write the script, it's still their vision that they're doing, as opposed to being given a script for someone else and making that into something.
0: Mm. Right.
1: I'm sure it's a different process.
0: Yeah, and and I uh, with... um. Like M. Night Shyamalan was trying to experiment after some of his flops with letting other people write the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, Devil was the first. Um, or no. I think it was actually, like you were saying, he came up with a plot for it and somebody directed it and wrote it. I, like Wrote the script and shot it um, under his kind of banner. And um, and I think Devil was the only um the only one he did that way. The only one he did that way. Uh and thankfully Well, that
1: and after Earth, I think you
0: said, yeah. Um well no, Af- After Earth was I think Will Smith's idea. Oh,
1: okay. And he directed it. And Tramalan and he like directed that. it.
0: So it was it's kind of similar in that way, but um the so but for those of you who want to our thoughts on emmett Met because they are they are Many, many, (laughs) and married, um, we did an episode spotlight on him because he is somebody that writes his own, uh, films. Um, and And he loves him lots. Yes. He's had, he's had an interesting career. Um, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of these. Um, I think Mean Streets, Goodfellas, and Casino are all Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Um, Featuring a number of members from his production posse, so I guess that's another way to define it is if it's a lot of the people that work on the same films together, then you could see that as kind of like a spiritual successor. Oh, *You've Got Mail* is a spiritual successor to *Sleepless Seattle*, oh, okay. both featuring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, right. moving toward a romance in spite of a physical separation. I
1: don't yeah. think I've seen *Sleepless*. I mean, I've seen clips from
0: *Sleepless*, Super- since I can't say it. <laughs>
1: sleepless in Seattle. Yeah.
0: I've seen clips of people being sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> okay. That's I just liked, something that I get I up to on got the weekend mail
1: a lot. I thought that was really good. So then, I guess maybe Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride, because it's both. Uh, what's his name? Richard Gere and and I'm
0: and so Jill glad Roberts. you remember because I want. I, know, I know, know you don't know that one. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: oh yeah, Runaway Bride is uh, Pretty Woman. I called it. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, so this is one that's in our hot in our hot? No. No, what? <laughs> Mixing up things. Because I, I was looking at the O in in co- coffee and I was wondering in my head is that supposed to be like coffee, the drink? And then I went, it's in our hot instead of hat. We have a hat yes. that we draw movies from. Yes, we do. For, again, another plug for random mini- mini- minicast. Um, and uh Foxy Brown is in that hat because uh Misha likes uh that I, I call her Misha too. So a lot of things coming at you. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the reveal all episode.
0: Yeah. Um she she was modeling one of the, her characters on uh Patty Greer. Yes. Um or Pam Greer.
1: One of our superheroes from our masks campaign.
0: Um and uh she, and she used rot. stills from Foxy Brown.
1: Because I wanted someone who was both, you know hip in the seventies and all culture warrior or, or social justice warrior. And then now would have been very similar to so similar in age to the, to the actress and now is playing more, you know, power suit kind of roles.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. This is interesting. A sequel was planned for Blade Runner. And after the script was rewritten and handed down through several different creative teams and eventually reached the screen, <clears throat> as total recall. Really? The same process led from Total Recall 1990 to Minority Report.
1: Huh?
0: Uh the actual director- No, I
1: can see I can yeah. see Total Recall to Minority Report. I'm not getting Blade Runner to Total Recall.
0: Right. Yeah, neither, no, I I tried to watch Total Recall. That's one of those 80s macho terrible. movies that I'm just like what why? why, why? <laughs> I said I
1: liked it better than Terminator. Because mm-hmm. literally, Terminator was boring.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But at least Total Recall was interesting. It was weird. <laughs> and we
0: got to the part where the yeah, guy... You entertained as you watched, but maybe not for the uh, with the way that they intended.
1: Because the guy had that little guy attached to him. <laughs> and I couldn't handle that part. But...
0: <laughs> so yeah, as we have, this, have established, that was not the reason why I couldn't get into it. But that there were many varied other shows. <laughs> and and that i think that's something like like star wars has still for for as much crap as it's been getting recently really? has still to me um been able to have fun cute and or weird things that happen yes and it hasn't distracted me in right. the movie um but that that was one where it was just there was a lot of kind of Things that were random as opposed to something like, even though I haven't seen these either, but um, there's like things like RoboCop or Demolition Man where there's a overriding satirical thing right. going on. right? Um, and maybe because this started as a Blade Runner sequel where they're, they just liked the world building right. part of things they weren't as focused on
1: actually making a plot.
0: Yeah. Actually making something that was like through a uh, uh, through line. Uh, Don't that, get distracted
1: by your world building. Yeah. We'll Number one of writing any second world story.
0: Right. No, that's, that's, that's a good, uh, we should add that principle. to our,
1: our writing club, upcoming writing club rules.
0: Yes. Uh, I guess this would be a, a nice open invitation. There, so far, we have one person interested in our write club, um, where the rules are. Let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. Um, uh, don't, don't. Rule
1: number, the, one. Rule number
0: one: Don't Part talk one. about writing. Write. Rule number two: Don't talk about writing. Write. <laughs> rule number three: uh, Two put po- two pieces. Well, I'm not going to remember all these, <laughs> but the point is. We're doing. We're going to do a a writing club.
1: I think
0: they get the the point. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the number one um, thing that I think the writing writing club is going to be about because uh, a lot of writers will get in the habit of like satisfying them so short term with talking about what they want to do rather than actually doing it, and so uh, uh, maybe twenty five percent of it will be. Reading and critiquing other people's pieces, but then a larger portion will be actually just sitting and writing, you know, what you you need to get done. Um, and uh, that's going to be at the Warminster Township um, Library. Hopefully library. I'm,
1: I'm in discussions with them. So, but it mm-hmm. should work out. Mm-hmm. Are we going to broadcast any of them? Eventually, or only if people. Yeah. The,
0: so the 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 plans as it stands are that we're going to have a submission process for uh, a live stream where we will have people be able to read their um, pieces, be they uh, scripts or poems or short stories or what have you, um, in some kind of open forum on Twitch, and um, th- that. That'll be, you know, not something that's required of you at, as being a part of Red Club. But the idea is that uh, as you improve as a writer or as you, you know, talk to us and, and, and you know, or learn about what we're doing to promote ourselves, hopefully, um, you know, it, it will become a channel and, or an opportunity for you to get your writing out there as well. Um so w- one of those meetings uh, will, will be, you know, a-, a reading that you'll be able to perform the pieces that you do. Um, so if you're in the area in the Warminster or Philadelphia, or you're willing to somehow get to Warminster Township to, uh, you know, write with us and uh, perform once every so often, then uh, we'd love to have you. So if you want to reach out to us at Unboxing Story or on Twitter, or on uh, Unboxing Story Podcast at gmail.com. We'll let you know more information. And we'll probably post those things as well. Yes. Um,
1: All the social medias.
0: Oh, I really like this movie. So uh, Jumanji had uh, a spiritual successor called Zathora. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, That I thought was a really well done. Um, I liked that one. Yeah, because it had a lot of... The, the idea was that Zathora was kind of like Jumanji, only it was... A space, um,
1: themed game like space
0: thing. opera themed, yeah thing because because it it uh, you know it harkens very much to like classic sci-fi yeah. tropes, yeah yeah, um, and and it it's a setup where like you know there's a babysitter sitter and two uh, young guys, and you know I thought that the the it was interesting because you know a lot a lot of times nowadays you'll have. Um, like like I was saying, like usually that's a turn off for me. Where it's like, you know, you can come up with your own original thing, but the fact that it wasn't Jumanji Two, right?
1: Um, although apparently Jumanji Two was fun, and we should yes, which
0: is yeah, that's another funny thing is that well they don't do numbers anymore. They Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Jumanji, try to figure out what number it is twenty years from now. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: Um, which is the
1: problem we were having with Underworld because they didn't number any of them either.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you're the only one concerned about... <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that alone. Um, but yeah, the fact that it was space-oriented made it so that it wasn't like, you know, somebody took Jumanji and lifted it and tried to, like the like I was saying, that whole uh, Deep Impact Armageddon thing. Right, right, right. Like, they they were really trying to make their own thing work and there, and there were... Like, I really liked the characters in that movie. Um... So, I that be- so if
1: we're talking about successors here, what do you call something like? So you're saying that there were times when studios will come out with similar things.
0: Well, it's at so. The same time. So here's here's but a, like.
1: I remember hmm. when the Prestige and the Illusionist came out around the same time. Uh-huh. But and they were similar in the sense of they were both about magicians,
0: uh-huh.
1: stage magicians. But they the plots are completely different and the mm. settings are completely different. Right. So like, what do you call? Accidental,
0: what are they? Accidental fraternal twin movies, like. so in in that in that case, I would say that like, it's 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 not necessarily a critique to say that like a studio, because like, I remember being in the theater when those two were advertised next to each other and thinking like that's so weird that they're, you know, and when that happens, your mind immediately goes to, oh, so, some studio exec heard wind, you know, heard in the in the ether that there was another magician movie. They wanted to get one out that was better, faster, and so they put the green light on something. But it there there have been cases where things were in production just completely independently. Together and you know, um as far as the studios claim, it's like we didn't know that they were putting out this or that. Um and so like you can say like ants and Bugs Life like, no,
1: but that one they did on purpose. That guy that started DreamWorks used to work for Disney.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, he knew that was coming out. Oh, Okay, um, so at yes, least so that's what
1: I've heard. I could be totally <laughs> wrong, but that is what I.
0: Have but heard. yeah, but the uh, w- what I, what I'm saying is that I tried to watch ants, and it was just like this is I don't get this, yeah. and and you could feel the bitterness of the person doing it. Yeah, and and so like that's the kind of like there's. Um, I've heard the word "cynical" being thrown around, um, although it's it's it has multiple meanings. I think when critics use it, you can be cynical in the sense that you, as a viewer, are jaded to a certain movie trope,
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus uh, a creator does something because they think the studio is uh, stupid enough to not realize that we're like get, we're getting away with something because the unwatched unwashed masses will flock to this thing, um, like uh, um, it was being. It was used a lot um, because uh, uh, the um, the cinema stom on YouTube. Uh, there was a stretch of time where the Chipmunks movies were coming out, and the Smurfs oh. and the Smurfs movies were coming out. And when you compare that to the quality of work that Pixar does, right? It seems like the people writing it or make and making it are just expecting kids to not um to just eat up anything that they put out that's colorful mm-hmm. and and passively humorous you know wh- whereas there's levels of emotional and comedic and and artistic merit that some of these other films have and they spend you know, Pixar spends years yeah, working on, on on their films. Um, so, uh, when I mean cynical, I'm thinking more along the lines of the creators that, like, see that there's this trend happening, like, with the YA movies, and they're rushing to make money, and their focus is on making money as opposed to making something that's artistically yeah. good. Um, and so you could be a pragmatist and say, well, they're they're always only trying to make money, but you can definitely tell the difference between somebody that you know
1: is also trying to give birth to something beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um. You see, boom, boom. It seems like a, a lot of these I haven't seen. Like I haven't seen um. Uh, that's so the Halloween reboot just came out, but I I, I haven't seen the first one. We discussed about Possibly watching doing that. Yeah. <laughs> she put possibly because she's like, if something freaks me out, I'm going to run away. That's right.
1: <laughs> run away.
0: <laughs> um, but uh, that's another thing that, that Brad Jones from the cinema stop uh, was kind of like part of his, the ethos of that show um, is him acting like a snob about things, like acting like a cynical movie reviewer when he really personally loves some of these movies that get written off as crass or, you know, um, so uh, a lot of what he does is uh, with uh, like a lot of the original um, slasher movies was he talks about the development of them into brands and like how they change throughout the production of different sequels. And so a lot of people forget what the original movie was like, like in the first Friday the 13th, Jason wasn't even the killer, um, and uh, in you know the first Halloween, it focuses much more on the psychology of somebody that's just killing at random, and you don't right. know what his motivations are and things but like then that. then,
1: as we, as we saw when we were talking about classic monsters, that seems to be a thing that's happened to horror in general, mm-hmm. maybe, that there was this original view of these are what monster movies are, and then it became... All kinds of strange things that mm-hmm. don't interest us anymore necessarily,
0: right? But that, but now I think because there's, um, like there's there's new studios like a twenty four, who um, are doing like these kind of indie, like they feel more like small independent movies right. because they're focusing more on character and, um, like I I. Didn't personally like the philosophy of The Witch, (laughs) but I did like the um, the filming of it, and I I liked the trend now more towards um, movies like the one we just watched that's focused more on the tension and the drama of things, and not um and not creating something that's like oh we can make five of
1: these right
0: and you know always have the same you know stock character that becomes less of a character the Different more goes, you know convoluted the continuity goes um because they like the apparently uh from what i've heard halloween and halloween 2 are both fairly good movies yeah, from what I've heard. but then like he gets blown up at the end of halloween 2 <laughs> and then, and they, then they somehow he's in halloween 3 um so it's an interesting <laughs> It's an interesting evolution, I think, in horror. And um, I think you can make the case that the newest Halloween is trying to be a spiritual successor of the first Halloween. Right. Because they're ignoring the continuity of right. every other film. They're trying to go film. back
1: to the original director or story writers.
0: Right. Like John Carpenter uh, was involved in th- this latest one. And that that's another thing that they studios are trying to get like cachet from horror fans by saying like, we had conversations with this, this, this person, person and he's still alive and he's still interested in this. Um, and I think that's a lot of what they were trying to do with uh, force awakens after the, um, you know, prequels made everyone nervous and like, are they ever going to do star Wars right again? They got the original cast to come back and, you know, Her- and I think the having Harrison Ford be the face of that promotion for the new movie yeah. was kind of like, L- look, we made look, Harrison Ford is we, excited we to be Harrison Ford. Right? Or, uh, Han he Solo. wants to be
1: Han Solo again. It's good find.
0: <laughs> so the trivia page also compares um, the original Superman movie with the recent Wonder Woman movie.
1: Oh, um,
0: and <laughs> by, so, what do
1: you mean by original Superman?
0: Oh, <laughs> that's true. Because I'm sure if Grandma was out here, she'd be yeah, like... Yeah, she
1: could tell hey,
0: you. She was think. a lot like George Reeves. <laughs> like, oh, oh okay. okay. You know, I I, think Christopher Reeves, because that was the first film um, version of the character.
1: Oh, was it?
0: Because um, mm-hmm. I thought they did... Well, I guess it'll... It's the first feature, with I guess. Yeah.
1: Because I know they did show, and I imagine they did, like,
0: features. You talking about, like, the serials? Shorts
1: in front of... Yeah, the serials. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I've seen
0: those. The first, the first one that I was alive for. Yeah,
1: okay, um, well,
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, both are highly idealistic DC Comics superhero films about a dark-haired non-human protagonist who is sent to the world of men from the world of gods by a parent or parents to fulfill their destiny as a savior of mankind. And so it's so interesting to me that uh, like 20% of the Justice League in Batman is... I guess Flash is, Flash is metahuman, but he's not, like, a Christ surrogate. Um, you know, like, him and Flash are over here, and then Aquaman.
1: Oh, that's right, the rest are like demigods. Wonder Woman
0: and Superman. basically? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I, like, I think that a lot of people were saying that Wonder Woman was, like, the return to glory for... DC, that's kind of like the, um, that's like now the standard for their their films. So
1: what DC needs to do is get the masks RPG book and look at the different archetypes that are available for superheroes because apparently they only know two and there are at least like 12 now that masks let you play. Hmm. Like, so they have, so if we were playing, the, the Justice League, Junior Justice League in masks. <laughs> we would have two people that are Janices because that's what um, the Flash and Batman are. Although Batman could also probably be like the doomed or somebody more doomed and golden than that. Mm. But then everybody else would be outsiders, because outsiders are non-human people, and the reason you have powers is because you're not human, and you are here as like a savior sort of figure. And that's the only two they have, as opposed to like, oh goodness, Marvel, which has this panoply of different archetype people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? You have like, the brainy ones versus demigods versus uh, the Hulk, who is like the transformed, he, he, he not transformed, the bull character who like goes into rages and can't control the strength. Like there's, there's multiple archetypes in Marvel where like DC has like two. Mm -hmm. So we need to send them the book and say, here guys, (laughs) here's how you should work this.
0: I I think that's, it's interesting because DC, it seems like they wanted to get the cachet of doing what Marvel does without doing the work to get there.
1: Yeah.
0: Cause they had like, you know, man of steel, this is our Christ figure who um, we want you to, you know, treat like you did, you know, the Christopher Reeve Superman where he's charming and, and, um, you know, wh- whatever your version of Superman is, this is now the gold standard. And then, then the next movie, Superman hates him, wants to kill him. Right. But, and is justified based on the film footage from the movie to want to kill him. So like they wanted to have that, this is a more complex universe with different types of characters, but they didn't really
1: put the work into creating different types of characters. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so I, I, I think that the fact that they're allowing, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're allowing more creators to get in there and give a voice to the different things.
1: Yeah. To the different things.
0: Um, and it's, it's interesting in, in to me because James Wan was the guy that directed the Conjuring, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the uh, my fellow number crunchers online are like, you know, they're actually letting people with voices have characters within this universe, and I mean, the footage to me, uh, from because they showed the trailer before Hunter Killer, it kind of reminded me of like, how they did um, what's uh, Spock's backstory in the the new Star Trek.
1: Um,
0: and it's kind of like, you know, um, like, I, I'm kind of starting to see how there's this J.J. Abrams style of, you know, having, like, this, like, two or three character moments before the action starts, and then that justifies a fully fleshed out right. character. Um, so, the, and the fact that like, at least, at least, Spock seems more or less consistent throughout those movies. But the, um, they they kind of want to have Aquaman be this troubled prince and then be real bro-y. yeah.
1: And it's, I, I not, I'm not, really
0: i not really getting yeah. it. <laughs> as I, as I mentioned, I, I don't really I did, like. I, the whole. I
1: did appreciate the meme today. Somebody put up the meme saying, "Who cares what our movie's about? Here's a wet picture." <laughs> Jason Momoa
0: <laughs> or yeah, picture I, of a what I, I think Momoa. I heard some I was
1: like, yeah, well, okay. Good. I, I Good
0: heard point. somebody squee. <laughs> and I was like, come on, guys. That's <laughs> uh let's 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 hold this sta- same standard to Do we have yeah,
1: no, I'm sorry. We we went to how many I went to how many
0: Wolverine yeah, movies? Don't talk about well, I didn't force. We went you to-, to
1: how many Wolverine movies just to watch you Jackman take a shirt off? So I'm pretty sure they're allowed to make... I'm pretty sure
0: I spent African that money movies. right, dang it.
1: <laughs> they're they're entitled to, to some Jason Momoa movies just because he looks good with his shirt off and wet. Like, uh, whatever. It's what it is.
0: <laughs> I can't... I, I'm not <laughs> arguing with you about what you're entitled to. All right. Well, nothing else on this list is b- biting at me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I think that there, there there is something to say about how that it's a tr- it's a trend that I think justifiably you can look at a movie and be like, I'm expecting this to just you know be a ripoff and like there's enough of those that um, like. Like, for example, when the, um, the Bumblebee movie was being advertised, it was being advertised next to this, like, robot dog movie.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And I was just like, that's unfortunate for them, because everybody's just going to think,
1: yeah, oh, they're, they're trying right, to they do Bumblebee,
0: Bumblebee, but I like Bumblebee better, because he sings uh, He's Rick Explorer. Astley. Yeah, I
1: was going to say, he plays music.
0: <laughs> you so, know, don't play music. <laughs> but, like, I think because, uh. What we're trying to promote here is to like not um, let those trends and those different things take you away from seeing a movie that you really are actually interested in. And so, uh, you know, I thought this was a good, a good movie that did enough work to, um, you know, set itself apart. And within this, you know, submarine sub, you know, <laughs> sabotage, espionage uh, genre. Um, that has so far has only two entries, but um, even though it's not my per, like, I don't get excited normally when I see a war movie coming out. I, I liked that this had you know competent acting, competent directing, and it's it's much better than the thirty six percent it has on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Yes, um, I think it deserves a better. We should go on there and try and lift the score
0: <laughs> with our with our two with votes
1: our, with our loyal following. <laughs>
0: Yes, if you're out there and you know, go see the movie first, and then, yes, and then get, get up. somehow credited on. We can boost the fan score probably, but not the. Oh, oh there's anyway. an official thing. Yeah, Melissa's gonna go to sleep know. now. I am gonna go to sleep
1: now. No, I'm not. I'm gonna write for a little bit while we watch Strip Search. That's what we're doing next.
0: Yes, <laughs> for those of you still listening, um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go do what we do. The but Salinas we appreciate has not listening. you listening. Uh, you can write to us at UnboxingStoryPodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us a about the right Club that we have coming up or um, also uh, another advert before the other uh, social call to action. Um, we have Extra Life, um, a 24-hour live stream of video games and RPGs that's coming on November 3rd That's a Saturday, so if you want to uh, stay up and uh, drink Watch some Mountain Dew with me, and then uh, you know, go over to the live telethon that we have going on at 7th Dimension Games yep. um, in town. You you can go ahead and do that, um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, hit us up at Unboxing Story on Twitter if you have any other questions, comments, concerns. Um, and uh, as as I noted previously, you can help us uh, you know make the show better by going to patreon.com slash think outside the box. Yes. Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs>
1: goodnight, Gracie.